Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. Okay, as promised, this week we're going to look at what I call the human timeline, and really it's just looking at this world and our involvement in it and God putting us here from a, an eternal perspective. You know, again, we're basing this whole series on the fact or the idea that God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. There is a plan that he's carrying out. And sometimes when we look at the human history, it's easy to feel like doesn't look like God's in much control here. He's kind of out of control with sin and all the crazy stuff that happens in the world. Well, the Bible tells us that Christ was known to be the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew what the overall process was going to look like and what it was going to entail, what he was going to have to do in order to complete what he started. All right, so I'm going to show a series of slides that illustrate um, what I'm trying to talk about. I really do believe a picture sometimes is worth a thousand words. It'll help you visualize what I'm trying to communicate. Okay, the first slide here, we see God who lives in eternity, and he's up above all creation, and he's looking down from eternity at what he's getting ready to do. You'll notice that first green line there at the top has an arrow on both ends. That's eternity. Eternity past, eternity future. God lives in eternity in the now. And that's really important to understand that when God looks into time, he sees it now. He sees the beginning, he sees the end. The Bible tells us he knows the beginning from the end or the end from the beginning, excuse me. And so he sees us and our, our history all at the same time. I don't understand that. You know, some of the physicists talk about different things about time and how it's fluid and all that kind of stuff. I don't really know that anybody totally understands that, but we're getting some ideas about that from even science. Well, at some point in eternity, the next slide here shows us that God started something. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. And so somewhere in eternity, God started something that had a beginning. And it was the creation of everything we see in the physical realm. Well, going on, you know, we're, we're going to go through this pretty fast. We're not going to cover all the details of creation, what he did on all, all the different days and that kind of thing. But we're going to talk about specifically man, because that's the topic of our whole series here, is what is God doing regarding man? On, it says on the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, which again is the premises, the premise of this whole series I'm doing, I've called Foundations. So he creates Adam, and shortly thereafter he realizes um, Adam realizes that he's alone, and he's looking for a helper. God's already got that in mind. He knows exactly what he's going to do, and so he creates Eve. And so there's man in the garden. Mankind has its beginning. And everything's fine. 
and they have some things to do, take care of the garden and tend that and so forth. And he's naming the animals, you know, and all those things. And then, but in the midst of it, God shows them a tree in the middle of the garden. He says, now, listen, you guys can eat from any of the trees that I've created, any of the fruit on any of the trees, except this one. I want you to leave that one alone because the day you eat from it, you'll die. Well, I don't know if they really understood what dying meant. I don't think we necessarily do hardly today. Because like I've said before in the series, living is not breathing. Living is a connection to God, and dying is disconnection from God. You know, man will exist on for eternity, but the question is, will he be connected to God or not? Well, when man sinned, we see on this next slide, you know, people have called it the fall of man, so I drew this little black arrow falling off the green line of God's good creation, uh, the fall of man. And that's where um, things for mankind really began to change in a, in a very difficult way. And then throughout his crea this creation, man is now being a descendant of our father, Adam. Now, I don't really understand all about that. I'm not sure everybody does. Anybody does, really. But what happened, the Bible tells us, is that as in Adam, 2 Corinthians 15.22 tells us, all die. As in Adam, all die. Okay, so, you know, he told them, Genesis 2.17, don't eat from that tree. They did it. Adam died. And he passed on what we call a sin nature to all of his descendants. Uh, it, it, it puts something in us that became part of us that we got from, if you will, our parents. This, this propensity to sin. Now we could say, well, that's a raw deal. I'm being punished for what Adam did. Well, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yeah, Adam started it, and it passed on this deal to us we call the sin nature. But it's something, if I can put it this way, as simple as you see a sign that says wet paint, don't touch. What do you want to do? Touch it. Is it really wet? And you find out, well, sure enough, it was wet. And so we have this don't tell me not to do something kind of mentality from the, almost the moment we're born. Uh, it's a rebellion. It's, I'm going to find out for myself. Okay, it didn't work for you, mom, dad, whoever, but I'm going to try it. I'll make this thing work. And we see that repeated in man's history over and over again, that uh, we tend to repeat what our forefathers did. Now, it's not their fault as such. They don't make us do that. Some believe that we have to because they did. But we have this thing in us the sin nature, and as in Adam, all die. Now, that looks, that's a pretty bleak picture that all of mankind is lost and separated from God. And that's the actual truth. When they're brought into this world, we're, we're brought in lost, already condemned in Adam because we're part of his race. There's something inherently flawed about us. But there's good news. Galatians 4.4 tells us this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, under the law. So there was a time, there was a right time 
when Jesus was to come. Now again, he was known to be the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Why was 2,000 years ago the right time? Why was it 4,000 years after Adam and Eve? I don't know. God decided that's the right time, and Jesus came. Uh, we know that. There's as much historical evidence that Jesus came and lived and died and was resurrected as there is for anything you can possibly imagine. There's a good book on that by Josh McDowell called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, if you'd like to read some more about that. All right, so... God sent his son at the right time. John 1.14 tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now it says, In the beginning was the word, in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was God, it said in verse 1. All right, so God came and he dwelt among us, you see in this next slide. All right, so, but notice, he's not part of the black line. He's not part of Adam's race. He had a different father. You know, the Holy Spirit, it said, overshadowed Mary, and she conceived and bore a son. Uh, the virgin birth is an absolute necessity to understand as far as the new covenant is concerned. Because when Jesus was born, he wasn't born with a sin nature. He wasn't born with that propensity to sin that all of us have ratified ourselves and gone ahead and sinned, just like our fathers, forefathers, and all the way back to Adam did. So here's Jesus in the world, but not of the world. And he said that about himself. All right, while he was here, he did a lot of things, miracles. He talked, you know, and preached and fed people that were hungry and healed people who were sick. But the main reason he came, indeed probably the only reason he came, those, those other things he did validated who he was, but he came for one singular purpose. The next slide shows us, along with verse uh, Romans uh, 5, 6 tells us, for while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So he came at the right time and at the right moment, even on the right weekend during the Passover, he was crucified for us. He died for us, the ungodly. All right, so I represent that with a big red cross. He was crucified. So he was sent. He dwelt among us, and he was crucified. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, that word propitiation, it's a big word, so to speak. We don't probably use it much. It simply means the satisfaction of a debt. He... he fulfilled the terms and the conditions of the debt that we owed to God for our sin. He became the payment. And there's a whole lot we can say about that word and where it's represented throughout Scripture. It's a great study. We won't do that here. Maybe we'll do that later. So Jesus came at the right time. He lived among us. He proved who he was. And even the prophecies of the Old Testament come into play, that every single one of them about the 
the prophecies about the coming Christ was fulfilled through his birth, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Absolute perfect fulfillment. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it says, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the most important thing I'm going to deliver to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. All right, so let's look at this next slide. Christ died. He was buried. Okay. The next slide after that, we see that he was raised. Why? Well, he says he was raised because of our justification in one passage. When he paid the debt off, he got to go free. You know, back then they had these things called debtor's prison. If you owed a debt you couldn't pay, they could put you in jail until your debt was paid, which it's kind of hard to do to pay off a debt when you're in jail. So your family and different ones would probably chip in and pay it off. And you got to leave the prison when the debt was paid. Well, when Jesus died and he entered the prison of sinful humanity, he actually paid the debt completely off and justified us before God. And he was raised from the dead. Without the resurrection, the Bible says, we are still in our sins. It is the most important event in all of human history. Yes, his death was important, and he had to be buried. Even where he was buried was foretold in the, in the scriptures. Among rich people, he's in a rich man's tomb. But the important thing is that he was raised from the dead. Because the scripture tells us if, if he wasn't raised, then we are still in our sins. All right, so Jesus was raised from the dead. And then it says... In Ephesians 1.20, that Christ, when he was raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand, in at his right hand in heavenly places. So when God raised Christ from the dead, he seated him at his right hand. A position of power, a position of, of authority, a, po a position of, that position tells us of his standing with God, his standing before God. Now, there's going to be a second part of this series that we're going to talk about next week. How does that affect us? The fact that he came and he died. You know, he lived among us a perfect life without sin. He died willingly on our behalf when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was buried he was raised three days later, just like the scriptures said he would be, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean for us? So I'll finish with this last verse. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. So let's look at this last slide. You see that Christ came, he dwelt among us, he was crucified, buried, and raised, and seated at the right hand of God. And when that happened... It says he became the propitiation for our sins, not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. So you see this large red line underneath that he reached under the entire sin debt of mankind 
and he scooped up the whole bundle. From Adam, when he took of the tree, you know, the, the fruit that his wife gave him and he ate, all the way to whoever the last human being is, he paid for all the sins of all mankind forever. You know, a lot of times I have felt over the years, well, he forgave me for what I did before I was saved, but do I need new forgiveness? His payment was for all sins, even the ones I haven't committed yet. It doesn't mean it's okay for me to go ahead and commit those sins, but he knows what's coming. You know, he didn't make just a down payment with the cross and leave installments to me to keep the debt paid off. He paid off the whole note, not just a down payment on our behalf. And so God, if you look at this last slide again, who lives in eternity, started something. He called it creation. He created the heavens and the earth. In that creation was man. Man chose to sin. There was a fall, and that fallen nature was passed on to all of us. But he knew that was going to happen. So even before time began, he decided, when that happens, at the right time, I will send my son to be that satisfaction of that debt. He will be a lamb that is slain on their behalf. And so he came. He lived among us. He was, he was crucified, buried, raised, seated. And now the sin debt is paid off. Now, how does that apply to you, what, to us, to you and me? What, how do we get in on that deal? Well, that's the topic of next week's lesson. How, did that, how does that affect us? How do we become part of that, that finished work that Jesus did when he said on the cross, it is finished? Paid in full is what that word means. It's over. I've done it. How do we become part of that? Well, that's an exciting um, body of truth that I'm very excited to share with you next time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are fully involved, completely aware of what's going on, that nothing throughout all of time and eternity has taken you by surprise. You're not looking down, wringing your hands, trying to figure out what to do with mankind, trying to come up with a another plan or some plan B, but indeed the, the cross was always part of the plan from the beginning because you knew what your creation would do when we're given such great things that we have as human beings but don't know really how to, how to use them in a way that glorifies and reveals your nature and your character. So you, you solve that problem through sending Christ not only just the problems of the past, but you're also solving the problems of how we live in the future. And we look forward to you helping us mature in understanding those things. We thank you and we glorify you and we lift you up as the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who brings us along by your grace, by your mercy, and by your power. We pray in Christ's name, amen.